y'all. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home, where I share some conversations, stories, and scenes from my everyday life here in Oman. One of the things I appreciate about my work experience in Muscat is how it connected me to so many people from different places in Oman. And in my professional life, literature was, and continues to be, one of the things that helped me break barriers with people and to get to know them through. Ahmed, who's a translator by craft, is one of those people. When I invited him to the studio, we spent a decent amount of time discussing literature and some of the projects he was working on. I honestly love translating literary works. And literature in uh, specific, it can be very challenging. And it has a variety of types to go with. Mm -hmm. You would have the novels, you would have the short story, you would have the, the poetry, you would have so many other things. Uh, for me, I don't know about other t- literary translators, mm-hmm. I would reach that level where I cannot add anything else to the, to, the, to the poetry, to the poem itself. So I would rather stop, ignore it totally, and come back to it like after six months or after one year. Okay. And I start reading it back again, and I say, did I do this? And I want to add more, and I start adding more to that poetry. And here it is, the final draft. Okay. And whenever I, whenever, you know, the feeling, the, the, the adrenaline you get with, with that, the, the, the final result, the, 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 the matching with the rhymes, when you start reading it, is very, very different than the first time. Gotcha. See where you started and see where you ended. I never spent much time thinking about translation as a field. But with the keen eye of a creative translator, Ahmed opened my mind to all sorts of things concerning the written word. For me as a writer, I focus on what I put on the page itself. But for him as a translator, he's concerned with achieving balance and bridging the experience of readers across languages choosing the appropriate nouns and tenses, or the deliberate use of synonyms rather than direct translations, not to mention the cultural differences between readership, etc. The list of considerations goes on and on and on. As he already mentioned, Ahmed likes translating creative texts and he pours a lot of time and effort into them. So seeing this quality in him encouraged me to share some of my written works with him. I'd get excited to hear what he thinks of them and what choices he'd make if he were to translate them. I don't just get his feedback as a reader, but also as a translator, which is something I really appreciate. So, by all means and measures, it always seemed to me that Ahmed was born to be a translator. He's not just good at what he does, he derives so much meaning from it. I just assumed that he knew, one way or another, that he would be a translator and he just went for it. Turns out, I couldn't be more wrong for that assumption. How did you even get into translation? Uh, I'm gonna have to, ne- to connect that with my disability because uh, when I finished uh, high school, I was taking scientific uh, subjects mm-hmm. and I started, you know, the, the phase when you start uh, registering for the colleges, universities and whatever, mm-hmm. in the website, it was written that you should put a check if you are 
a disabled person or not. Mm -hmm. So I checked on that. And after a while, I came and I was putting in my mind I wanted to have uh, an experience to study abroad. Uh, I logged in. I went to the page where I can start choosing the priorities. And all of the abroad universities were removed. Oh, wow. Believe it or not, all of the study chances to, uh, to go abroad and study were removed. All of the scientific fields and scientific uh, disciplinaries were removed, except for very minimal colleges, which I did not really put in my mind that at that time because my, my score was really good because I wanted something that matches my score got me mm -hmm. to go to the vo vocational uh, college for example was in my dream or all the all the traditional college or mm -hmm. come on despite navigating the same educational system I instantly felt so distant from Ahmed's experience and embarrassed by my ignorance I distinctly remember the college application phase like it was yesterday and the Higher Education Admission Center landing page, aka Al-Qubul Al-Muwahhad. How we had all sorts of majors, colleges, and countries to choose as preferences and to compete for. Imagine having all of those diverse opportunities disappear off the page because you checked a box for special needs. It was only during this interview that I learned about those restrictions in the system. Ahmed himself only learned about them when he was submitting his own application. I was really shocked. I was really shocked and very sad. I tried calling them. They said, if you if you took out that check uh, on the disability case mm -hmm. and they found that you are lying, you are going into too much trouble. For <laughs> even going <laughs> around doing that? and cutting around the bush was never an option. Okay. <laughs> I really considered doing that, but I didn't. And... Uh, my family and especially my mother was really against the idea of me studying abroad because of my disability case hmm. and I tried to convince her one time second time three time uh, she started to get convinced because <laughs> because uh, she knows she knows I'm a fighter and she knows I would whatever sticks to my mind I will gonna I will do it at the end of the day <laughs> Okay, and uh, all of my brothers know that, by the way. <laughs> What's your order in the, in the family? I'm the, I'm the second. I'm the second. The second eldest? Yeah. Okay. So first there's my sister, then I come. Okay, the I second, see. Yeah. Uh, since, uh, since I was born, uh, I was always very different because, because of this thing, because of this uh, characteristic I hold. Whenever I need something, whenever I... I stick my mind into something, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, either they like it or not. Uh, and that's really admirable. And that's a Taurus <laughs> for you. That's how you spot it, a Taurus. It can sometimes bring you lots of troubles. And sometimes you would uh, feel very satisfied and very happy because you did it. Absolutely. Because, because whenever you feel that, oh, what if, and what if I don't? you would come back to it and uh, think that, yeah, 
Thank God I did it. Way before the whole college thing unfolded, Ahmed was very vocal about his decision and got into a lot of arguments with his family about it. So when the ball dropped on him, he got quiet, which was something his family was not used to. His mom, knowing her son all too well, approached him and asked him, what happened? Why did you stop arguing? And he told her and the family about what happened with Al-Qabur al-Muhad. So I ended choosing the College of Arts and Social Sciences in the University of Sultan Qabus. And I started my uh, journey there. When we started, uh, uh, they gave us uh, a form to pick mm-hmm. the major we want. I, I was really between media and English language and literature. After that, I picked the English language and literature. And I started hearing people talking about, oh, there is a chance of translation. If you are not really into reading uh, books and whatever, <laughs> you can always try out that experience. And I, 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 I was mainly asking about the job market future. Got right, me? Yeah, okay. And uh, one of my friends, he was studying there with me, the same major, he advised me to take the translation. And the translation thing was really restricted to very minimum number of people. And you have to pass some sort of uh, requirements and you have to score some sort of high grade before you get admitted to that. So I did whatever they wanted and I started my career into translation there after submitting all of the requirements. Wow. So you can say uh, the translation path wasn't really planned. Did I enjoy it at the end of the day? Was there any regressions? No, not really, because because I fitted in. I mm. uh, started enjoying. What the, do you mean the, the, you fitted in? Because like in the subject itself, yeah, or in the community, in the, in, the, in the major itself. Okay. I felt like because I was really enjoying learning languages mm. in my in my uh, mid school. Uh, high school phase uh, and I don't know why I lost that passion right <laughs> now <laughs> maybe of work again <laughs> but uh, it, it gave me some sort of encouragement to continue with that and uh, complete my uh, study I'm glad and I ended with like becoming the second uh, on, the, on that batch I scored the second on that batch of course he did I'm not one bit surprised that he scored second in his batch. In fact, academic shrewdness and general prowess was one of the things that stood out to me about him. Ahmed combines both discipline and intelligence. But I always got the sense that he would deliberately hide his knowledge, which quite frankly bothered me a bit. On a visual level, Ahmed stands out more than your average Omani because of his physical disability. From the way I understood it, there is no specific medical term that caused his disability. It was a sort of nerve damage that affected his legs and their growth. So he hasn't been able to use them since he was born, and he uses a wheelchair. And as someone who uses a wheelchair, I've seen on more than one occasion how his disability plays a role in his social interactions with people. In a lot of these interactions, Ahmed's responses puzzled me. For the lack of a better expression, I felt like he would deliberately and with control become more reserved. I wasn't sure if my observations were right in any way, and hoping to understand him some more, I shared those thoughts with him. And yet again, I was surprised to hear what he said. 
the way the way I'm processing thoughts, the way I'm dealing with thoughts, can be uh, most of the time uh, not loud and can be rarely loud. So again, going back to my uh, the way I'm growing up, mm-hmm. the way uh, I'm living, the way I'm processing things, mm-hmm. the way uh, my case is, uh, I learned that. Uh, because of my, for example, disability, mm-hmm. uh, trying to stand up sometimes and uh, talk out the thing you are suffering from might take double efforts. Uh, people, uh, whenever you start to give him, for example, arguments, for me, for example, mm-hmm. back in the old days, whenever I want to start and add an argument part to the conversation, they deal with it uh, very, very uh, stupidly uh, as they, ah, yes, thank you. Ah, yes, that's right, thank you. Whenever I try to, they they didn't, they don't take it seriously, you got me? They don't take what you say seriously. Yeah. And that was a struggle because, uh, again, going back to those reasons, which are very complicated. I started processing things in my own mind. I don't have to tell you whatever I want to t- I want to oh, say. Interesting. And that's in the past. Now, uh, <laughs> I uh, again telling you thanks to the uh, the shift I made in the in the in the university life, mm-hmm. the way meeting with new people, starting to interacting with others, trying to show others oh, what I can uh, do instead of introducing the words first. Mm-hmm. Because I learned that words from me, if not introduced first with actions, are very difficult to be accepted uh, compared to other people, compared to normal people. And this is not the case with me only. It's the case with everyone, every person with disability. For example, when I was, when I was younger, and I was going with my with my parents, for example, to the to somewhere shopping mall, uh, uh, visiting a hospital, whatever. They are not asking me what my uh, issue is. They are not coming to ask me and talk to me. They would go straight forward to my, for example, father or my mother and mm. ask her, "What is he suffering from?" And what, uh, for example, what, why is he here? Whatever. And I hear the questions and I say, I know what I'm suffering from. Even if they are my parents and the way explaining it. But I really know what, I'm, what I really know, uh, what I need to say. You don't have to talk bes- uh, on my behalf because I exist. I'm already there. Because the exist- existing things sometimes can be visible in the wrong way. You are visible as a, as a, as a, as a as a person but you are not visible as a, as a, as a let me say a mindful person or someone who can who can talk and stand uh, for themselves on more than one instance during this interview your host was too stunned to speak it took me more than just a moment to imagine and let the scenes he described sink in even though i'd consider us good friends This was the first time we talked this openly about his history and the experiences he goes through. I wanted to understand a few other things about him and how it applies to his current person. So let's circle back to the topic of university. I was wondering how he navigated that part of his life. 
When and where did he draw the line between accepting things and challenging the circumstances? I'm very good with accepting things. <laughs> Tell me about that. Have you always been good at accepting things? You know, uh, it's not a matter of... Uh, it's not a matter of... Because I was just trying... I was talking to you about fighting for things. Mm -hmm. You got me? But uh, blocked roads can always be there. Accepting things can be temporary. And that's the way you can. Uh, that's that's the way you can think about it. That's the way you can uh, uh, get get on with your life. Uh, for example, one of the experience I had, there was a trip, an annual trip, that they chose the best students in the university. My name was baked at the first time. I completed the form. I submitted my uh, passport, copy, ID, whatever they needed. Mm -hmm. A while after that, uh, a call, a phone call came to me and saying that, oh, this is Ahmad, yes. Uh, we are very sorry to tell you that you are not going to be with us. I told them why, because it was something uh, out of the blue. I didn't, because I completed everything. I submitted everything. Mm -hmm. Why now? And the trip is like one month, two months uh, ahead. He couldn't answer me why. But uh, at that time, I came and I went straight forward to the deanship of Syrian Safas. And I found him there discussing and chatting about the, the travel and the trip plan. Mm -hmm. And I uh, opened the door, found the secretary. Where are they? I was really enraged. Not even angry, to be honest, because mm -hmm. it was something everyone, in my case, everyone was supposed to be enraged. And mm -hmm. where are they? She said here in the back office. She said, wait, 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 what? I already opened the door and started talking to them. Uh, I said, uh, why? Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. They started talking about the trip is very difficult. You would uh, have to do... Uh, Uh, a mountain climbing and you would have to do whatever da, 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 and the bus and whatever I said uh, I don't care I don't care I said I'm uh, all in I accepted the trip mm -hmm. I don't care about all of this because the trip was supposed to go we were supposed to go to Spain and Spain is known to be a very accessible country compared to here they totally rejected It was a very emotional moment. I walked out uh, very sad. Uh, I took a moment to accept that. Then I had my phone. I started making my calls. There was uh, the head of the people of disability section. Mm -hmm. I called her. I talked to her and explained everything. She said, no, this isn't acceptable. Tomorrow you would meet with the vice president of the university and you will introduce this to her. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. Let's fight. And a call after that came to me, another meeting. We went there and a promise kept. But this time, I'm not going to this year's trip. I was going to the next year's trip. Oh, so did you go? I will. Yes. I, I, did. I did go and I, and I won at the end of the day. So whenever I see the faces of those 
people who rejected me, <laughs> I would say, I would say, yeah. <laughs> okay, say hi and goodbye hi. and whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very different um, version of you that I don't think I've ever seen or I'm used to see. You, you know, I used to, you, know, you are used to find me as a calm person. Very who's calm, never, very Who's chill. never going to be angry. <laughs> yeah. And we started calling, talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the Zodiac and whatever and thinking yeah. about it. But uh, yeah, there, was mo- there were moments where I was very angry. And I'm still mm-hmm. sometimes. When he was in middle school, Ahmed got diagnosed with stage one hypertension or stage one blood pressure, which basically means that the force of blood flowing through your blood vessels is consistently too high. This condition is a major risk factor for strokes, heart failure, and even vision loss, among a few other things. I was really shocked to learn that he got hypertension at such a young age because my old biology lessons told me that this condition tends to develop in older adults who have seen a lot from life. Some quick googling confirmed to me that middle school is indeed too young for your average hypertension patient. And the more Ahmed shared about his past experiences, the more I felt he was justified in having that level of anger. Growing up, Ahmed faced worse and more intense situations than the ones shared throughout this episode. There's a lot that I wish I could share here, but had to cut out purely because of the time restriction. But here's what I can confirm. The accumulating events gave way for his anger to eventually manifest as a physical ailment. When he got diagnosed, Ahmed's priority was to manage this condition by controlling his temper and taking medications. He became very proactive about redirecting his energy towards figuring out his personal and professional goals. Thankfully, the older he got and the more he went to different places, experienced being in spaces where he can feel more normal and express himself, the less he had reason to be so careful about his hypertension. And the workplace has been one of those spaces. And I appreciate the work uh, experience because I, I started feeling normal very quickly, very, very quickly. Besides giving me the, the rights, I, I have to get without even asking, which was very nice. I started to feel that I'm normal. Mm-hmm. I can attend whatever the, the event they do. I can assist. They treat me as a professional person, not as a person who may need some extra time to do mm-hmm. the work. And this this way of treating me made me very, very uh, happy and feeling that uh, I am who I am, different from other places. So that's more in the workplace, not necessarily like out and about in yeah. society. I don't know, maybe the workplace, for example, has experience before me, maybe because uh, they are well-trained, because I know some other institutions are still suffering from that, starting from the accessibility thing and ending with the treating part. So, yeah. Our mutual social circles and workplace are the main spaces I see Ahmed in. And I guess I can say that they're isolated worlds in themselves. I'm glad to hear that he had a good experience in those spaces because I can see the contrast the moment we step out of them. I'm often taken aback by the interactions that are very familiar to him. The unwarranted pity, condescending tones, intrusive questions, and the false assumptions. 
Hence why I felt that despite being familiar with him and his personality, I never asked him much about his history in fear that I would cross a line or say the wrong thing from a place of ignorance. And I'm really grateful that he wasn't only willing to answer my questions candidly, but share it here with whoever might be listening. I was born with uh, with my disability. My parents tried to get some treatment for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Khola school whenever when I was an infant, no result. I went to India, first time for checkup and the second time for the surgery, no results, the same thing. And uh, the last option was there is to do a physiotherapy. The physiotherapy I can do in doing like for one month or two. Uh, the results were very, very uh, minimal, if not not there even. And I uh, accepted the life as it is after that. I wasn't even uh, introduced to the wheelchair itself. When was I the used first time to use, one? There was the first time was in grade two. There was before the the cane, you know, the cane, and there was the carrying and taking whatever thing. And uh, the wheelchair uh, came after. Yeah. Do you think the culture of the culture in general, mm. how it deals with different people with disabilities? Do you think that has improved as well, or how would you compare it to when you were younger? It has. It has. Uh, starting from the uh, let's say the materialistic part and the cultural part, even the the conversational part when de- when dealing with people. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure, like let let me say, twenty years ago was very, very different from what happens now. And for context, you're like 26, 27. I am, I am 26 right you're now. You're 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, for example, when I was six, when I was five, most of the houses, we go, we visit with my uh, cousins, my uncles, most of them. And it goes again to the culture that we have rain and we, ha- we don't have a draining system. Everyone puts steps to their houses, mm-hmm. got me? And there is, no, there is no idea of what is a slope or what is uh, a ramp is. So making a ramp was some sort of a luxury. <laughs> those houses or those... That's why, that's why I was enjoying traveling or coming to Muscat only to come of these places like for example the shopping malls mm-hmm. they were accessible no, not because of me because of the trolley <laughs> the <laughs> <But> trolley <laughs> yeah but uh, that's a fact that's a fact okay. uh, to be honest because of the trolley because and uh, then after that they say they started seeing that oh not only the trolley needs uh, to be pushed <laughs> the people needs to be pushed as well uh the starting of the dedicated parking mm-hmm. parking spots uh the the ramps uh the flight experience was different as well and it's still sometimes challenging in Oman and in different countries the the, the lifestyle the 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 way people uh, talk to you mm-hmm. for example when i was a child people would see me as in a very uh, pathetic way Mm-hmm. They would start praying and saying du'a or madruish, and uh, I'm, I'm still fine with it. But uh, uh, that's that's all right. But the way you say it depends 
كان 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 جادج اون يور بيرسوناليتي اند جادج اون يور ذا واي يو بيسيف مي بيكوز ذا ايز فور ايفري ون ات ذا اند اوف ذا داي اند اي هاف تو اكسبت ذا كايند وورد از ويل از ذا از ويل از ذا اذر وايز اوف سينج ات In the few occasions where I saw those interactions, I'd filter my annoyance through humor, but I'd run out of humor real quick. Angry and annoyed, I wondered, what goes on in Ahmed's mind when those things happen to him? How does one still manage to respond with grace to situations that entitle him to be anything but graceful? A while before this interview, I asked him this. Is he numb to those regular interactions, or does it still bother him? If so, how does one deal with it? He indulged my curiosity with refreshing honesty. He confirmed that those interactions still annoy him, but dealing with them became a lot easier as he's gotten older. As for how he deals with them, he just normalizes his presence with grace. There was one funny last uh, experience. Uh, last week when we when we went to a business trip and I was standing on the on the aisle mm-hmm. in the in the check-in area on Muscat Airport. I arrived to the lady in the check-in and she started asking me with the first question is, what is your problem? What is your problem? Yes. She said, uh, your name is Ahmed? I, t- I told her yes. She said, uh, what is your problem exactly? And I started laughing. My colleagues are saying, I standing behind me and, very, and laughing as well. I told her, I have no problem. There's no problem in me. <laughs> she said, uh, she pointed at the wheelchair and this. Ah, this? You mean this? Yeah, this is a wheelchair. What do you need? <laughs> I generally attract a fair amount of attention because of my appearance. And whenever I sense it, I do my best to ignore it and actively resist the loud questions hanging in the air. I do it mostly for my peace of mind and because I don't know what else to do. Otherwise, seeing the curiosity in people's eyes and not knowing the intention behind them, let alone dealing with the actual interaction, sometimes puts me on edge. I just put a distance and draw clear boundaries, which I may or may not change the more I get familiar with my surroundings. There's probably a lot I still don't know about Ahmed, but I have to say that his character influenced me. I learned a lot from him just by seeing how he manages uncomfortable interactions. It encouraged me to adapt in different ways to manage my visibility, anxiety, and well, to be more relaxed about it. During my early days in Muscat, and for quite some time after that, I had my guards up almost all the time. I slowly started to relax the more I got to know people like Ahmed and saw how they carried themselves. And learning how to be more relaxed throughout my days was really important as I tried to redefine what home means to me. On the Way Home is brought to you by Oman FM. This show is available for streaming on all podcast platforms. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Fatma Dinari, and you can follow me on Instagram at Fatma's Eyes, F-A-T-E-M-A-S, Eyes, sound engineered by Azam al edited and mixed by Abdullah al Thank you for listening. <laughs>